You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the book of Joshua. Call me sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now, full of pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able, He calls you now. We need to know that we can trust in the Lord for ourselves. And by faith we believe that He will continue to provide for us and that He will accomplish anything that concerns me. What He began, He'll be faithful to complete it. We need to come to that point of complete obedience by faith. And that's what the abundant life is. Moving into a living hope. Moving into a hope that only God can give. So as we study this great book, we can see the way for the Christian to have victory. We can see the way of a life that God intends for His children to live. Have you ever felt God telling you to do something and out of fear you hesitated to obey? Well, sometimes, the greater the blessing to be gained, the greater battle we'll need to fight against our spiritual enemies. In today's message, Pastor Dave will encourage us to have complete obedience, resist fear, embrace victory. Now here's Pastor Dave with today's edition of Cape Watch Radio. Turn into your Bibles to chapter 4 of the book of Joshua. Yashashua, Jehovah's salvation. That's his name, the same name as our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we study this, we can see how he matches up with our Joshua, our Jesus, because the name Jesus is the Greek word for Joshua. So God had accomplished many things for the children of Israel during the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. He fed them. He gave them water to drink. He clothed them. He protected them from the hot hazard days by a cloud. He gave them warmth and light by a pillar of fire at night. We read that their shoes and their clothing never even wore out. In Deuteronomy 29.5, it says, the Lord says, And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. God supplied miraculously for this huge throng of people. They estimated that some 5 million people left Egypt that day. God even led them when they conquered armies. When they conquered the Amalekites, God led them. And after 40 years of wandering, after 40 years in the wilderness, at last now they were prepared to cross over the great Jordan River And they were prepared to go in and possess the land that God had promised their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promised land of Canaan. Land given to them as an inheritance by God himself. Of the millions upon millions of people who left Egypt, we said only two remain. Two of them remain. Joshua and Caleb, two of the original spies. So all who stand before the Jordan now were born after the deliverance from Egypt, after they had come out of slavery. All these people now had heard the stories of how the Lord had freed them from Pharaoh's hand, how he had sent the ten plagues upon Egypt, how he had parted the Red Sea, and how he had destroyed Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. But they needed to believe for themselves 
They needed to now know that God was leading them into a new relationship, we said last week. A relationship by faith and obedience. They knew people need to get that for themselves. They heard the stories. They heard and, 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 and know what God had done because the stories were constantly being told. But as they were being brought into the land, as God was bringing them now into this land, he wanted them to trust him. He wanted them to trust him, and he wanted them to know that he was in complete control of their lives. Remember, he told Moses to bring them here to this mountain, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will worship and serve me on this mountain. He wanted these people to have their own memories of him. He wanted them to remember his accomplishments that were fresh in their lives. So that they then could pass down those accomplishments to their children. So they could pass down those ideas and things that God did in their lives. He wanted them to know that he would be forever faithful. That God would be forever faithful. I think this is a lesson for us too. We need to know that God is forever faithful. God is forever faithful in our lives for those that have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, for those that have been born again, for those that he calls his children and have been adopted as sons and daughters. God is forever faithful. He will never fail. His word will never fail. God is forever faithful. His promises are always true. In fact, the word says all his promises are what? Yes and amen. So be it. He wanted this group of people now, to remember his accomplishments in their lives and know that he would be forever faithful. And although this was the land of promise, it was for Israel going to be a place of battle. It was going to be a place at first of war. The land was already inhabited. And Israel was going to have to fight for every single inch of it. It was a place of trust. They knew they had to trust in God for everything because the challenges only got bigger in the promised land. But so did the blessings. So did the blessings. You know, I'm miffed sometimes when I hear preachers and pastors talk about the abundant life that we have in Jesus Christ. I'm miffed sometimes because sometimes it's portrayed as a life of ease. Sometimes it's portrayed as a, as a life of, of plenty, a life of prosperity. You know, sitting back in a hammock and eating bonbons. That's what the abundant life of the Christian is. Well, sadly, that's not the case at all. The abundant life of the Christian is a life of trusting totally in God of trusting totally in his completed work on the cross for your salvation, of trusting totally in him to accomplish what concerns you in any day, in any given time. The abundant life for the Christian is a life of war. It's a life of battle. You know the scripture. You're students of the Bible or you wouldn't be here tonight. In Ephesians 6, Paul writes in this beautiful Ephesians 6, he says in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against dark powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
It's a major battle going on, folks, and we're in the midst of it. There's a battle for souls. There's a battle to keep you off track with God. The Christian life is a life of hope. It's a life of trusting in God. It's a life that God has given us. And we can be overcomers through this life. Like these Israelites who are crossing over the Jordan that day, we too have heard wonderful stories of God. I bet every one of you, if we had a testimony night, could stand up here and tell us a wonderful story about God, what God did in your life at one point of the time. You could tell us those stories. And when we study his word, we glean from it great examples of many men and women who had God on their side and who God did many, many beautiful works through. We see this and we read that. And it's wonderful to hear these accomplishments. It's wonderful to know that the Lord is working in the lives of others. But we too need to know this for ourselves. We need to know that we can trust in the Lord for ourselves. And by faith we believe that he will continue to provide for us. And that he will accomplish anything that concerns me. What he began, he'll be faithful to complete it. We need to come to that point of complete obedience by faith. And that's what the abundant life is. Moving into a living hope. Moving into a hope that only God can give. So as we study this great book, we can see the way for the Christian to have victory. We can see the way of a life that God intends for his children to live. A life of faith and a life of obedience. That's why I've I've entitled this whole study, The Victorious Christian. How we as Christians can glean from this Old Testament book on how we have been victorious in Christ. How we now have that victory. And we can live that way according to the scriptures. So as we open this chapter, we see now that the Israelites are, now they're on the other side of the river. And in front of them lies the land that's ready to be conquered. Blessings in battle seem to go together in our own Christian walk. The greater the blessing to be gained greater the battle that we have to fight. We need to get as close to God as possible. We need to know him as best we can. I commend you for coming to a Bible study when we study God's word because faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word. And we build up each other's faith and we can stand when the battles come and the battle rages in our lives because we know the true living God and he has been faithful here, 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 and here. Why won't he be faithful again? And we can glean from that and know that. He goes before us because why? The battle's been won. One commentator said, only the Christian who presses right into the heart of God will indeed secure God's best. I love that. We're coming into the heart of God, and we want to be enveloped by his arms. We want to feel that embrace of God. We want him to say, I got you, my brother. I got you, my sister. I got you, my little ones. I have you in my arms. Be secure in what he has given us. And that's what the abundant life is, a security. Chapter 4, verse 1, and it came to pass... When all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had pointed from the children of Israel, one from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, 
Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you shall take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carrying them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. When it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over into the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, crossed over, armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war, crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. This is an invasion. Several million people now crossing over. And I don't know how wide the Jordan was closed. It was closed up pretty far because they all crossed over. They told us in chapter 3 how far it was going to be closed up. But it was a big space, so they all crossed over. But it's very important after an invasion happens that you would establish a beachhead on the land that you plan to conquer. You need a beachhead. You need a place where you can get together, that you can organize things, and you can move off. The armies must secure this place. They use it as a launching port. They use it as headquarters, and they use it as a staging area. For Israel, the place was named Gilgal. G-I-L-G-A-L. 419. We find in chapter 5, verse 9, it says... The Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place shall be called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means rolling away. So they have this place Gilgal. We'll study that next week. Gilgal is approximately two miles south of Jericho. And it becomes the first territory claimed by the children of Israel when they entered the promised land. Some history about Gilgal, just to kind of put things together, Gilgal became a very important place for them. Saul, who was Israel's first king, was crowned there in 1 Samuel 11. David was welcomed back after the rebellion with Absalom was subdued there. Samuel used to stop there for his ministry work, and you find that in 1 Samuel 7, 16. And according to 2 Kings 2, 1 and 2, There was a school of prophets there, which was established in the days of Elijah and Elisha. So what would you do? You come into Jericho, you come into the land, you get there, and you're all hepped up. You're ready to go. You're like, let's go, man. We're ready. Come on. What's wrong with you? Let's go. We want to get there. We want to take these guys. Because remember, the spies came back and said what? Everybody's afraid of you guys. Everybody heard about what the Lord did, and they're shaking in their boots, man. We can take these guys. This land is ours. We can do it. So as they crossed over, what did it say? The two and a half tribes that, uh, that came with them, what did it say? They were ready for war. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Well, you know what? 
Sometimes God's just not in a hurry. Sometimes God's just not in a hurry. He always wants to make things are properly put in place before he does his work. He's going to do it here, and he's doing it in you. You might be waiting for something. You might have a promise for the Lord. I can guarantee you can count on that promise. I can guarantee that promise will happen, but it's going to be in God's time. It's not going to be in your time. You can't force it. You can't make things come about in your own way and in the flesh. God will do the work. He wants you to be obedient by faith and wait upon him. See, God is never in a hurry. He knows that beyond us doing something, we must be something for him. So now he takes time out, and he wants to bring Israel into a spiritualness, if there is such a word. He wants to bring them into a time of spiritual hope before they conquer Jericho, before he leads them in the battle. See, God is always looking out for you first. He wants to draw you close to him. Yeah, 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 you know... If you haven't heard me say I'm impatient, you haven't been here long. I'm very impatient with a lot of things. But God always wants to take me in his arms and say, Dave, just hang out a while, man. Just hang out with me for a while. It's going to get accomplished. Things are going to happen here. But you know what? I'm worried about you and me. I want our relationship to get better. I want our relationship to grow. I want to show you so many more things. Hang out with me a while. Get to know me more. And that's what God's saying to Israel. Hey, guys, we're going to get there. We're going to wipe out everybody we come in contact with. Trust me on this. But right now, I need to have some one-on-one, you know? I need some time with me and you. I want to raise you up a little bit. I want to get you strong in my word. I want to get you going. He's ever looking forward to that. The more time we spend with him, I can guarantee the more we're going to be prepared for when that time comes. And you'll know when the time comes. You'll know immediately when the time comes. And when you act and step out in faith, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be great. Because you've spent that time with God. You spent that time in his word, in prayer, maybe fasting, whatever it is that Lord's leading you in, but you're patiently waiting for him to show you what he has in store. But he's saying, come on, let's hang out a while. I just want to hang out with you, Dave. Come on. So many times we're quick to run away, you know, and and it's like he's standing there going, where you going? What's your hurry? Hang out. Let's eat. He just likes to hang out with me. That's what he's going to say. He said, the battle's coming. But you need to be prepared for the battle. And there's some spiritual work I've got to do in your lives first. There's a few spiritual things I've got to do first to prepare you for this battle. Each tribe was to send a representative to get a stone. We read that in 312. Remember when we looked at 312? Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from every tribe. That's what it was for. They were told to go get stones out of the midst where they were standing. And they put them on those shoulders. These bad boys must have been big. They carried from the dry riverbed where the priests were standing, and they got these stones. In verse 6, it says, This may be a sign among you when your children ask from time to come. See, the purpose of this memorial was so that the people of Israel could teach their children about how wonderful and how glorious God has been to them. The work of God would not be forgotten among generation after generation, that then these people would then begin to put their trust in God. As the generation moves on, we see this throughout the Bible. We see this great example of the generations being responsible to teach the upcoming ones about the faithfulness of God. We see this throughout time. We have a responsibility to raise up our young people, train up a child as he should go. 
We need to train our young people up in the word of God. We need to train them up so that they too would know our God. So many young people are, are bolting. They're leaving the church in droves. It's horrible. It's just so sad. God says, I want you to do these things so that they would remember what happened here. And this is not new. If you're a Bible student and you've read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you know that God has set up, he calls them feasts. He set up feasts for Israel. We have the Passover. You have the Feast of Booths. You have the Feast of Trumpets. You have all these feasts that God has set up as memorials so that they would remember what God had done. And some of these feasts are even enacted today. We just had Carol come here, and she talked about the Feast of Passover and how it represents Christ. And being a born-again Jew, you know, she's now completed. So throughout the Bible, we see these things, reminders of what God did, reminders of what God has done in our lives. One commentator said, when we fail to trust in our God because we forget the things he's done, often our faith for our children becomes weak because they've been never told how great God is. They've never seen God at work in your life. They've never seen that, and they need to see that. They need to be reminded how good God is and how wonderful he is. They need to see that, and they need to be reminded and how he is still working in our lives even now, as long as we're on this planet, as long as we're alive, God is working in our lives. The Lord has given us a great reminder, a great reminder. He's given us a way to remember. He's given us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of communion. The Lord has given us this time. He gave us the institution of the Lord's Supper. and He said, whenever you do this, remember me. This is why I use 1 Corinthians 11 every time we have communion at the first of the month because when Paul was talking about this, he puts the emphasis on remembering Jesus, remembering what the meaning of his own death was. And remember when we looked at the the Last Supper, we saw that it was actually a Passover meal. When, When Jesus together with his disciples, according to the biblical commands and Jewish traditions, celebrated the remembrance of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. The breaking of bread and the drinking of wine were important during the Passover celebration. Jesus took these important pictures and the reminders of Israel's deliverance from Egypt and added them to the meanings connected to his own death on the cross for us. He said, this is my body. And taking the bread, we're called to remember Jesus' body, beaten beyond recognition, torn asunder, if you will, by the cat of nine tails. The Passover meal would feature unleavened bread made without yeast, both because yeast is a picture of sin and corruption in the Bible, and because bread, yeast needs time to work. They had to make their bread with fast, without leaven. They didn't have time for it to rise, because they were bolting. It would have scorch marks, which represented the stripes of Christ. The scorch marks were on them, and holes from baking as they pierced it. Same way Jesus' body had holes from the nails, stripes, the The book of Joshua details the Israelites' journey into the land promised them by God and the various adventures they encountered along the way. Through it all, one thing is clear. God keeps His promises and protects His people. Pastor Dave Shank will continue to teach through this Old Testament book on the next edition of Cape Watch Radio. But in the meantime, we'd like to direct you to our website at capewatchradio.com. Listen to an archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave or download and share them with your friends and family. 
You can also subscribe to Cape Watch Radio by searching on iTunes. Take biblical teaching with you wherever you go. It's a great way to add spiritual teaching to your already busy life. While we're so blessed to be able to bring you verse-by-verse studies straight from God's Word, we hope this isn't your only source of spiritual nourishment. The Bible impresses upon us the importance of community and the need to find a church family to help you grow in your walk with God. If you haven't found a church home and are in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Cape May each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We meet to worship our Creator and study more deeply the guidance He's given us in the Bible. For our address and directions, please give us a call at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Or visit our website at capewatchradio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But be sure to join us again for more on Cape Watch Radio.